Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. Well, in um, terms of influence and achievement, Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived. He never went to university, never got a degree, never married, never travelled far from home, yet more books, more songs, more paintings and more movies have been made about Jesus than any other person in all of human history. Such as this painting by Henrik Ulrich. Henry Ulrich. And nowhere else does Jesus give as clear and comprehensive teaching about what it means to be a disciple, which is a follower of Jesus, than in the Sermon on the Mount. One psychologist wrote... I'll get up on the screen. Here you go. If you had the most authoritative articles ever written by the most qualified of psychologists, expressed by the most capable of living poets, you would have an awkward and incomplete summation or summary of the Sermon on the Mount, and it would suffer immeasurably through comparison. Wow. So where can we find the Sermon on the Mount? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew's Gospel towards the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus begins his ministry by preaching to the crowds one message, and we see it in Matthew 4.17, repent, which means turn back to God, turn away from living for yourself and live for God. And why? For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Thanks, Colin. For a Jew living in those times, all of your focus would have been on the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Because when the coming of the kingdom came, well, that means the end of everything that is wrong with the world. Everything will be set right. And after having announced the kingdom, Jesus actually retreats from the crowds. Jesus goes up on a mountain and draws people to himself, his disciples. Who have, been, who have already repented and turned to God. And what he does is he calls them to be different to the rest of the world. Later in chapter 6, verse 8, Jesus says, Do not be like them. Because the kingdom of, is an upside-down kingdom. Jesus goes on to explain what life in his upside-down kingdom looks like through eight blessings. And the passage is actually commonly called the Beatitudes, which just means the blessings. Now, what does it mean to have a blessed life? Um, This blessing is not talking about material things. Notice what we're going to see is it's not the poor, but the poor in spirit. It's not the hungry, but those who hunger for righteousness. It's this blessing is a declaration of God's favour and grace towards his disciples. So these blessings, it's God's favour towards you. And all of these eight blessings belong to all Christians. And the first thing Jesus teaches us about his upside-down kingdom is that the lowly are raised up. In verse 3 to 5, we read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here we have three different ways of describing people who are often looked down on by others. Now, while the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they used to consider themselves better than other people, the poor in spirit are those who knew they were sinners and knew they deserved God's judgment. And so they realized their need for God and they actually would cry out to him. See, when we know we're unwell, we see our need for help. And this also helps us to understand the next verse, verse 4. What kind of thing would those who are poor in spirit mourn over? Well, not first and foremost, the loss of loved ones, but rather sin. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly grief or godly sorrow produces a repentance, remember that means a turning back to God, that leads to salvation without regret. If you're really sorry for your sin, you will plead with God to take it away from you. And you'll ask God to change you so you won't sin anymore. This is what repentance, turning back to God, looks like in a follower of Jesus. And so if I can ask you, when was the last time you felt a deep sorrow or pain or grief over your sin? Or have we become content with the sin in our life? Well, if that's you... Consider the pain Jesus experienced on the cross. Should this not move us to hate everything that the very thing that drove a knife into Jesus' heart, so to speak? Well, Jesus says, Those who mourn like this shall be comforted. Both now they'll be comforted with the forgiveness of sins and in the future well, sin will be no more. In other words, those who see their need for God and feel sorrow for their sin, are like the tax collector in the temple who beat his chest and would not even look up to heaven and said, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Those who see their need for God, and those who therefore mourn over their sin, will necessarily be humble people. Therefore, it makes sense the very next character trait of a disciple is to have meekness. Now, meekness means not being overly impressed by one's sense of our own self-importance, but rather they are those who view, view themselves as God sees them. And what that does is it makes you amazingly grateful because you start to realise, I'm so undeserving. And so that makes you gentle, it makes you humble, it makes you considerate, it makes you sensitive, it makes you patient and kind in all of your interactions. This kind of meek person who doesn't have too high a view of themselves will be the one that sits near the new person that's come today to Spark rather than sitting with their friends. They're the person that might stay behind after Spark to help clean up. But those in the world who want to make something of their selves don't value meekness. Instead, they push themselves in front of others, in front of the meek, because they want to promote themselves. And here is... The upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom. It's the meek, not the proud, who will what? Inherit the earth. Those who are consider, being considered as having nothing in the world will possess everything. The poor in spirit are given the kingdom of God. When Joni Erickson, Tadar, was 17 years old, she dove into a pool which was 
too shallow and became a quadriplegic. She is a Christian and now she invests much of her time serving other disabled people through a ministry she set up. She might not look impressive from the world's eyes, but her meekness has taught us to serve others and that she is blessed, though she can't walk, because she said, I would rather be sitting in a wheelchair with God than on my own two feet without him. It's what meekness looks like. The second thing Jesus teaches us about his upside-down kingdom is that the hungry are satisfied. The hungry are satisfied. Verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, righteousness just means doing what is right in God's eyes. It has both an internal and external aspect. Unlike the religious leaders who focused on the external while doing nothing about their evil hearts, Christians are to love their neighbour from their heart. And when they do that, it overflows into actions of concern for the well-being of those around us. Such a transformation comes about when we trust Jesus and he gives us his spirit that changes our heart. But while we live in this fallen world, we'll never be fully free from sin. And so what should that do? It should make us homesick for the kingdom of heaven. Because 2 Peter 3.13 says, In the new heavens... That is the home of righteousness. Right now, barely any of you are probably homesick. More likely you're sick of being at home because of COVID. But there's a family in my apartment complex and the dad went to China just at the beginning of the outbreak of coronavirus and he hasn't been able to return to his wife and two daughters for 10 months. Think of how homesick he must be to be back with his family, to be back with his daughters. And his wife. Well, how much more should we long for heaven where everything will be put right, where there be no more unrighteousness, no more injustice? Well, so far we've seen that Jesus' upside-down kingdom, the lowly are raised, the, the hungry are satisfied, and the third thing we see, the merciful are given mercy. Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, mercy is just having compassion on people in need. Such mercy comes from a pure heart, verse 8, which seeks only the good of others. And the result of this mercy is our relationships are filled with peace. For those who are um, merciful, they willingly forgive. Therefore, they're called peacemakers in verse 9. And you know where we see this attitude? With Jesus on the cross. What did he say to the people who were torturing him and mocking him? Father, have forgive them, for they know not what they do. Could you or I have that kind of mercy or compassion on the people that were torturing us? It's crazy to think about. But those very hands of Jesus's that were stretched out so dangerously wide, as his shoulders were aching, as he was gasping for breath, What they were doing was they were grabbing God's hand with one and our hand with another and they were bringing them together in peace through his death on the cross. Now we can easily take this idea of mercy for granted because we live in a Christianized culture that's been influenced by Christianity. But think about this, in the Hindu religion, everyone's actually born in a caste system 
The caste system is your place in society and it's based on your previous deeds in a previous life. I read a book recently of a missionary couple. They went to the slums uh, in India and they, they went into a house and they found a girl lying on a mat, malnourished, flies around her and she was um, dying. And they pleaded with the family, please let us take her to get treatment and they refused. It was only when they threatened to get the police involved that they said, okay, you can take her. They took her to hospital. She was there for ages. She finally got back into a healthy state. Then they brought her back to the family, went away, came back another month later, right back where they were in the beginning, where she was in the beginning. So they pleaded. They said, she's malnourished. Please let us take her again. But they refused. They didn't let the missionaries take their daughter. They... They came back later and she had died. Now, they were like, why did this happen? Why would a family let this happen? Well, it's because, because of the caste system, they didn't value her, their daughter as much. And so they decided they will prioritise their other daughter rather than her. And so they put their money and, and time into her and they actually let their other daughter pass away. They didn't have the same mercy. Why? Because they haven't been transformed by Jesus' mercy. They didn't know Jesus' mercy. They don't know how much they've been valued by Jesus. So they, haven't, they don't know what it is to show mercy to others. Well, so far we've seen Jesus' upside down kingdom. The lowly are raised up. The hungry are satisfied. The merciful are given mercy. And fourthly, we see the persecuted are given the kingdom. Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are those who, persecute, who are persecuted for the righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. However hard we may try and make peace with some people, some people, for whatever reason, we just, they just, it just won't work for some reason, particularly those who don't trust Jesus. Why? Well, they've rejected the Christ that we follow. So what this means is you might have to sacrifice your popularity at school in order to stand by Jesus for being mocked for your faith. Now it's unfair. Those who hunger for righteousness will suffer for this righteousness, for doing good. Yes, Jesus says it is worth it. The reward for standing for righteousness is eternal. Jesus ends these blessings with this amazing declaration, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. How different are these qualities to the ones the world values? And yet, Jesus goes on to say, those the world disregard are the light of the world. What lasting good can the poor, the hungry, the meek, those who mourn, the peacemakers, those who give mercy, and the persecution, the persecuted, hope to have in this world. Well, in verse 13 to 16, Jesus uses two household items, salt and light, and draws a very unexpected conclusion. And in, as incredible as it might sound, Jesus refers to these small group of Palestinian Jews. They, he says, they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, in the centuries before um, refrigeration, salt was used to prevent decay. And so Jesus is saying our character has an impact on the world 
It slows down the spread of evil, the decay of the world due to evil. And by being the light of the world, Jesus is saying that our good deeds are to shine forth like a lamp or like a city on a hill that can be seen from miles around to attract people to God. And the purpose, Jesus says, is that they may see your good deeds and give glory to God in heaven. Your good deeds, your mercy, your righteousness, your peacemaking are there to make your words about Jesus attractive to people so they might actually want to hear what Jesus has to say. I find um, my wife to be uh, quite a good example of me to me of this. So people in our apartment were complaining about um, some trees that were hanging over the driveway. So Pip went and knocked on their door and said, found that there was an elderly couple living there and says, look, your, your tree's over the driveway. Can I help you? And so yesterday she spent a large chunk, chunk of a day with the kids off to the side. She's hacking away at the branches clearing away all the um, gross stuff that was in that backyard as well, just so that she could show Jesus' love to them and also so she might have an opportunity to share Jesus' love with them. See, the salt in, in Jesus' day was a white powder from around the Dead Sea, which was a mixture of salt and other minerals. Now, apparently... The salt was the part that was most easily washed away. So you could still have white powder, but the saltiness was gone. Only good to be thrown away. Now we're all under such pressure to not be different and to blend in around us. And the temptation will be for us to be like a chameleon Christian. Just blend in. Don't go noticed. Live the way everyone else expects you to live. Listen to, watch, speak the same way everyone else speaks and watches and listens Our goal isn't to become one of the boys or one of the popular kids. It's to be a disciple of Jesus. To reflect his love to those around us. To be a light on a hill. No comment should be more hurtful to a Christian than, but you're no different to anyone else. In fact, I remember once at uni, someone said that to me. Something similar. If people say this to us, it should make us question, are we really Christian in the first place? A dead fish can float downstream with the current, but it takes a live one to swim upstream and against it. Here is a moment to pray and ask God to reveal to us the genuineness of our faith and to ask Him to make us the disciples that He wants us to be, that we might live such good lives that we give glory to God and have opportunities to share the good news of Jesus, knowing that God's grace forgives us when we fail. Let's pray for that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus shows us what it means to be a disciple. And it's not the way the world lives. Help us to be different and help our lives to, be, to, be, to live such good lives before people, such loving lives, that when they look at us, they see something different and they want to ask why we're different so we have an opportunity to share Jesus. And when we fail, and we will, We pray that we would go to you for forgiveness and we thank you that you do forgive us all of our sin in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.